Hi everybody, welcome to the 10th episode of the Chicken Chess Club podcast, the show where we talk about everything in the chess world and then Peter Heide campaigns for half an hour for FIDE Vice Presidency. It's going to be a great, great show. My name is Jan Gustafsson. I am joined by Laurent Fressinet, hey. who is just finished playing the French League. How did it go? French champion for the 14th time, so it did go very well. Uh, we we do the match against um, Anier. That was uh, the last match and the last uh, struggle. We had draw odds, but we were considered. I mean, we were weaker in every board basically, except the the, the woman board. Uh, so I guess the average rating was like I don't know. It was much better for them, and we made a draw. I do. I do MVL as black, so life is uh, life of a chicken is great when you do when you do such players uh, as black. It's not uh, it's not easy. Ugh, you look a little too happy for my taste, Peter. <laughs> how are you doing? Well, I can look look less happy if you prefer. So I excellent. I actually had a gr great uh, week. I was at the Charlotte Chess Center, which is uh, just uh, impressive. It's like a camp with. Uh, I mean, 60, 60 people doing chess for three days. I was there with uh, Olga Tupalov and Naroditsky, who was doing the teaching, and then the, the, the sort of Charlotte Chess and the team, who was taking care of uh, everything practical. So, and that was, uh, that was really great. Uh, and the first time maybe in 10 years that I was doing sort of group teaching, and it was fun to be with people who are so interested in chess. But I promised you something negative. Sorry for, for the good, good words here. So I can say that my traveling back was... Uh, <laughs> Truly horrendous, basically. I'm, I'm just back after th 30 hours of traveling. It was, uh, I mean, I was supposed to land in Brussels and then take a direct plane to, to Vilnius uh, shortly after, but uh, we exactly missed it. And due to the Brussels airport being on strike today, they had to get rid of everybody yesterday. So they found me a 12-hour detour where I first had to go to London, then to Copenhagen, and then to Vilnius, and then <laughs> I miss, missed that plane for some kind of uh, confusion. So I instead I had to wait uh, eight hours in Brussels airport and fly to Copenhagen. Uh, the plane was delayed, so I just managed the, the thing to Vilnius, and I was here about midnight, sort of more than 12 hours later than I was supposed to do and such. And of course, um, the first suitcase which was supposed to ride in Charlotte is, is seems gone. And the reserve suitcase I, I bought to bring back the stuff from Charlotte is also gone now. So I have two pending cases of, of lost uh, luggage at the moment. So I hope that makes you, you feel a bit better. So <laughs> sorry for, for your troubles. And I think it's important you share this because people only see the five-star hotels, the celebrations and exclusive nightclubs. But they don't see the traveling, the behind-the-scenes stuff. That uh, you're a person too. And sometimes you have to go through hard times. So yeah. It's it's very much appreciated. What what did you do during your spare time? Did you spend time campaigning or tweeting? I don't, or I don't think there is much spare time, to be honest. Um, well, uh, lesson starts, let's say, we have lessons from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock. But I, will, I have jet lag and I don't really have any kind of uh, sort of ready-made material for lessons either. So I would typically go, go up in the morning and, uh, and prepare some lessons and then well, then there will also be some kind of evening activities and we will go out evening, uh, everybody together and such. So, I mean, no, it would more be like, you know, you do your one and a half hour lesson in the break, you go and make a couple of feet of tweets and look at the replies and then you go and do lessons again and so on and so forth, right? So 
Oh, you have to catch these things on the fly. This is, this is kind of amazing, difficult. amazing yeah. life. <laughs> Are you worried while you're giving the lesson that you might have missed a tweet that you could have a snarky reply to? No, I, of course I am. And I think sort of a more experienced uh, teacher slash campaigner would do more exercise based stuff. So you actually have time to check your computer. But I'm more sort of lecture based. I mean, well, for instance, the first lesson, I basically just showed uh, three of Magnus's win from, uh, from, from Stavanger and, and such. So no, I understand it's give me a campaign disadvantage, but well, I'll have to make up for it with the intensity. So how about you, uh, Jan? You are commentating the, the first few rounds. I mean, you, you will commentate all of them, right? Yeah. No, the candidates tournament has started in Madrid, in Spain, the tournament that will potentially determine Magnus's next challenger or will determine the next two participants in the World Championship match. Of course, we did an expert preview on it. I was in commentary the first three rounds. It's, it's fun to have the candidates back. Like The stakes feel higher, especially the first two rounds. I'm sure we'll talk about it in more detail. Um, there was a lot of fights, a lot of opening surprises, so I enjoyed that part. Personally, I'm, I'm barely hanging in there as usual. I felt very tired after Norway chess and the candidates are rough it's like seven hours I'm commentating or it's probably exaggerating but like it's been like six and a half hours I think the first two days I'm commentating with the great Judith Polgar who happens to be good and interested in chess so it's a lot of chess variations and in order not to embarrass myself I have to I have to pay attention so it's completely crushing me but it's also interesting like I quite enjoyed the chess part that's, I will start. I, I will. I will start commentating tomorrow in French. So no, no. Finally, so finally. I mean, while I am using this show to sort of uh, use a, a bit of political campaigning, you guys are actually advertising your commercial products now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you should. You should and, and you should uh, talk closer to your to your mic to be to make sure that you advertise your microphone as well. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what we do. No shame, no shame on this show. We just advertise our own stuff. I mean, you showed the way. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, to the so top. Shall we talk candidates? Yeah, we will talk candidates. I predicted Ding to win. He's not. He's not doing me any favors so far. In the first round, the highest rated player Ding Liren lost to World Championship finalist. Jan Nepomnesi ding with the white pieces and I checked the game. I analyzed it on my YouTube channel, Janistan TV, <laughs> where you can subscribe if you understand German. It's a great analysis. And ding made a lot of mistakes, quite uncharacteristically, I would say, like every move you could criticize pretty much. Um, he got a better position out of the opening. I think he surprised Nepomnesi a little bit. Nepomnesi started bluffing, sacrificed a pawn, which I'm not so sure really worked. Ding didn't take it, and then yeah, just played some very slow passive maneuvers. Knight a4, knight takes b2, queen d2, and he, he seemed out of it. Like, it was a really weak game for his standards. I don't know what's happening. Did he yeah, arrive late? I, Jet lag? I, Nerves, yeah, stress? exactly. I mean, like, uh, my, my colleagues in the uh, French League, like, they kind of told me that... Um, well, they thought that uh, simply Ding didn't travel for the last two years, uh, for the last couple of years. So this jet lag, this travel uh, could be really tough. And I think 
they have a point. I mean, we did. I didn't take that into account in our preview. I mean, no, I mean, no, nobody did actually. We didn't. So um, yeah, I feel they have a point. I mean, like uh, Ding didn't travel, so jet lag and so on. You you get um, um, you have to get into the mood. I mean, and the right shape. And it seems that this game was really. That is something. No, the uh, game for his standards was really bad. Like, credit to Nepomneshi, who played nicely and patiently and crushed him. But Ding made so many mistakes. That Even in online good. games, in Rapid, he's playing better than that. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was, that, was really, uh, that was really poor from him. Also, what I don't understand, I'm sure there are reasons, but if you have the candidates, which by far is the most important tournament for the last two years, why don't you go a week early? Like, get used to yeah, it, get, make sure you're not, uh, you're not jet-lagged, you're used to... The temperature, the weather, and so on. Like when I play Thailand Open, I always go at least a week early because I'm a professional. Yeah, even when we are um, walking for Magnus, we always go and check if everything. Yeah, yeah, is, we uh, really had to check the location was exactly <laughs> yeah. for a long time. Peter, but I was serious about the first part. Why does he travel like a day before it starts? Yeah, or two days. Yeah, this is a mistake. That's that's, that's for sure. Peter, your expert opinion. Yeah. Um, well. I wasn't sure if uh, how much was preparation for Nepom. I thought even maybe the pawn sacrifice could be. Um, well, this was the C4, E5, G3 line of the English. And it was exactly what uh, Giri played against Grishuk in the candidates in 2020. So I thought it was a rather topical line to some extent. And I wasn't sure if the pawn sacrifice was not prepped, but I haven't uh, had time to check it due to, uh, well, traveling as, uh, as we spoke of. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Then also, I wondered that too. Sorry, just to weigh in on that. I wondered that too, but I really doubted the timing. Didn't look like it. Like he spent half an hour for rookie eight, knight g four, and the moves also really don't work. It's not like there is some hidden traps or anything. It's it just doesn't work like with the computer. So I, it would be strange preparation. Then if someone here is going to read my uh, newspaper column, which you can get in the Danish newspaper, vegan the reason to buy that. Um, <laughs> Well, we'll, ha we'll be apologized for my apparently wrong comments. Um, but that could be. Well, I thought it was strange that he didn't play this move b5 and open up the queen side, for instance. I was, uh, yeah. I was looking at the game live with the students in, in, in Charlotte, and I thought b5 would have been promising. But I thought even after he played. Instead of knight a4, yeah, like he had a couple. But even after knight a4, sure. it was quite interesting. The computer strongly suggested not to take on b2, which he did. Uh, and I think if he takes back with the queen, he's still quite better in a way. Yeah, no, but you can criticize every move. Knight a4 is wrong. Knight takes b2 is wrong. Queen d2 is very wrong. Like there were so many mistakes. It, it is maybe a difficult structure. Knight a5 is wrong. Knight takes b7 is wrong. D takes e3 pawn structure is kind of weird in a way. I think Nepom played it nicely. He managed to get the system with a sort of structure with a knight on d5 blocking counterplay and then was killing him on the king side. But no, I quite agree that it was a pretty bad game for Ding. And uh, well. I think to some extent I hope for Ding. I just like the, the well, I like all of them, but well, Ding, uh, for some reason I would like him to do well because he's such a good chess player. And so far he, he didn't. So that was, of course, uh, I mean, a, a rough start. And uh, while I, online I, I claimed that uh, I was the one taking Karana in the show, which I kind of did. Of course, I also mentioned that I thought Ding was a little bit bigger favorite than, than Karana. So I agree this is a huge surprise. And uh, well, it still has to be sort of seen if uh, I mean Ding will go sort of over in history as someone who doesn't really 
succeed when it really matters, right? I mean, we saw the previous candidates where he was one of the favorites. He simply lost the two first games. Now he started with only losing the first one, but, but even so. So still a long tournament, only one point behind. He was close to winning later, as we might speak of and such. So it's not a conclusion yet, but uh, the risk Yeah, is it, reminds, it reminds, of course, of uh, Aonian, who was so close mm. so many times and basically deserved at some point uh, a match. I mean, like, uh, he deserved to be a challenger, I mean, according to, to, to his career. Yeah. One but would uh, expect that based on strength, yes, but uh, yeah. he, ha he was never really, like, one move from it or anything like that, right? Yeah. I think I don't see... I mean, like... I mean, it seems to have been... Okay, it's only his first three rounds, but still, yeah, it tells quite a lot, yeah, about the shape of uh, everyone. Yeah, also the third game where he got a... Yeah, just a winning position against... Rapport, like the lines weren't easy, but after, uh, I'm sure people know all the games by heart, later on after king of one, knight takes e2, he has a chance to take a rook on d8, or to recapture, and when he recaptures, okay, it's nothing special, he's a little better, well, if he takes a rook on d8, it's winning, like, it's complicated lines, but it's obviously a very key moment, and you would think, ding, in top shape, yeah. would, would spot that, like... <clears throat> There were some tricks, but Judith uh, spotted them quite quickly on the show. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't seem in his best shape. I, I don't know if it's nerves or tiredness, but it doesn't look good for Ding. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on to Fabi. It looks good for Fabi, doesn't wow. it? Wow. Yeah. I've been so impressed. Like, the first game he beat Nakamura, I guess he had some nice preparation and some sideline of the Berlin but he was on his own quickly. Nakamura took, yeah, probably a calculated decision to make two more or less random moves. Queen e7, knight a5, and then rook b8. And yeah, white looked a bit better, but I'm not sure if Fabi did everything right. Then the position was sort of balanced or even slightly pleasant for black until Nakamura castled kingside. But then Fabi did punish him nicely and very precisely. So he won the first game. And the second game... As a theory nerd and someone who studied the Italian quite a bit, I I had never seen that idea, this h6, g5, and knight g4 in that position. And it looked like typical Fabi stuff that was backed up by so many concrete lines and tricky stuff. Opening-wise, I was very impressed. Can I, can I, uh, I disagree with both conclusions? Shall we go to the first one first? Or? No. Yeah. Please go <laughs> yeah, <laughs> disagree. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the first one, well... I also, I mean, I even in the car discussed with the, going to the play, uh, sort of to the sort of teaching center, I was discussing the game with Topalov. And we thought that White was just quite better after this move d4 in the opening. But the computers didn't seem to, to, to think it uh, that much, at least. And uh, I actually thought what Nakamura did was quite uh, reasonable up to a point. And if anything, he could even have been slightly better. But I think the move castling was just horrible uh, sense of, uh, of king safety. That he should take but that's exactly what I said. You're repeating it. Where's the disagreement? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that Caruana played particularly well. And I don't think that he, uh, Nakamura played that badly in, in the opening, uh, I would say. Well, I, no, I, I, agree. I don't think White was better, actually. Uh, that was uh, not, not my impression, in a way. And uh, so I think that, well, um, well, I think Nakamura played this kind of horrible move. And then, uh, well, of course, uh, he, he had some kind of uh, advantage uh, and, and managed, managed to win it. I thought that objectively it was drawn, but probably practically speaking, it was huge chances. So I don't know. Maybe. No, maybe I, I think. 
yeah, I disagree. Okay. I disagree with you, Peter. Wow, more disagree. <laughs> no, I mean it was a good fighting game, of course. I mean, like maybe it didn't get. Yeah, he had some uh, some idea in the opening. I'm very much impressed. Okay, yesterday was um, strange feeling because he plays uh, no online uh, in the night off and gets uh, to nowhere, no, not nothing new. I mean, like uh, everything was already played a uh, few times. So, but he looks sharp, uh, well prepared, except for yesterday. And uh, well, uh, this is the best of uh, Fabi for the at least for the first two rounds. I mean, you, you could, I mean, I understand against Nakamura, he didn't get anything, but then when Nakamura made a mistake, um, then he p punished it. So uh, I, f I agree with Jan. I mean, it's uh, it's it's good for looking good for for Fabi. Peter Heine Nielsen has something to say, please, Peter. Yes, about the second game. Uh, I remember I, I spoke with uh, Topalov about that when I was about to to leave uh, from from Charlotte. He said that well, he was trying to check the opening, and he thought that after I think I moved d4, White was close to winning. And I s was telling him that most likely that sounded unlikely because uh, well maybe it was like Caruana style prep for like he had get a better entrance, Vesely. Yeah, exactly. But I thought that uh, Caruana himself has has said I don't know where. But I saw him quoted for saying that he pl what he played was borderlining losing, but he thought that uh, in a practical game he wouldn't play d4. I haven't checked. It, I don't think I, he mentioned d4 specifically. No, but he that, did that, say that the line is. But the, I think <coughs> that d4 must must be. I haven't checked it, but I'm just curious if uh, if he actually was bluffing heavily or not really, uh, or if he's just trying to be to create that image. I thought it was a good calculated risk. The lines aren't easy after d4 either. It's a mess. And you could see in the game, like way down the stretch, he's still blitzing and he's exactly into details. This is what Fabi does. He finds some very sharp lines, even with black, and analyzes them incredibly deeply. And he manages to surprise, which in the Gioco Pianissimo, which everybody's played a million times now, to not only surprise, but also to get a sharp, messy position. It's I was very impressed. Like. Two, two first game has also been impressed with sort of a mix of preparation and practical skills. Third game yeah. was yeah. maybe a bit of disappointment, but also well, Duda seemed to catch him somewhat unaware. I mean, playing the night. Well, the Nidorf surprised him, no? Like clearly he didn't. He yeah, was but you, are, you as he went I out. mean, you must have a pep against Nidorf when you are uh, the candidate. Where you're playing a world championship match against someone who mainly plays the Nidorf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, neither. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good one. But don't, please don't give away secrets at the show. That's uh, <laughs> already. <laughs> you can stop that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, sorry, you got me off there. But well, normally he plays Bishop G5, right? But somehow, I can't imagine he rehearsed uh, sharp knight of lines before that, uh, before mm -hmm. the Duda game. So, oh, that was uh, one has to give quite some respect for Duda there. But having tried to disagree with you guys, I will still say that uh, Caruana, of course, is the one. Well, who looks most confident in the first three rounds, at least, or maybe Nepomniachtchi? We'll debate that. Yeah, yeah, he's looked he's looked strong to me, um, but yeah, third round was a little, little weaker. Well, you can say he was realistic. He slowed down and didn't really get into serious trouble. Although at some point it looked like he was going uh, do this way, right? Yeah, but even there, I thought he did very well bailing out. He was precise, holding the draw from an unpleasant position. And so exactly. On. So I thought I there he was very practical and realistic, which, of course, is also is very mm. important. So yeah. let's talk about my boy. All right. My boy, how's, my boy. Uh, how's Richie doing? 
<laughs> uh, well, uh, Richie is not, I mean, his openings <laughs> are not really impressive, no? I mean, to put it mildly, uh, it was a disaster in all, no, oh no, against uh, the second game was fine, uh, against Ali Reza, who is, uh, who is actually my boy. Uh, but uh, yeah, Ichi, well, he didn't prepare, no? No, no the first game, like, yeah. it's 1 e4, c5, knight f3, e6, d4, cd, knight d4, knight c6, bishop f4, which I e think is the first or second move the computer shows, and it is also what Rapport himself played <laughs> against Nepomneshi a year ago. And he's completely lost after nine moves. Right? Yeah, that, that just can't happen. Again, I yeah. will quote, quote Topalov. Uh, Topalov thought also he was completely busted, but then I told him that the computer says he's not that bad. And then Topalov started thinking that after c5, d5, bishop e5, rook d8, maybe it's not so hopeless in a way. Um, okay, it's plus 150. Like, I don't know how you define completely lost, but... <laughs> well, again, me and Topalov, the strongest engine we had was my mobile phone. So apparently <laughs> you guys have something more powerful. <laughs> Um, well, I, no, I, that was. I agree with you. It was that was just weird. I mean, yeah, and also like just chess-wise, even if you have never seen the position before, there to play g6, it's it's really asking to get punished by c5. No, so he, he had a slow time in the opening, but he survived. He made he made three draws out of three bad positions with black. Maybe he can pick it up from here. Well, Rapport, that... in this game, I think Rapport started outplaying him in the sense that. Well, his position just became much less worse and worse. It's not like he was getting better, but he's, it seems like he was outplaying in terms of just improving uh, things for himself all the time, right? So, I mean, if you sort of exclude the first 10 moves, he actually play, played a pretty nice game, I thought. Yeah, agreed. A, a, a bit the same for, for Ali Reza. I mean, like, who suffered in a couple of games. He was even completely lost against uh, Richie. Uh, but uh, it's good, I think. It's not a bad start for Aliaza. I got two blacks and uh, it's good emotions when you are saving games. Yesterday was a bit unlucky because uh, it doesn't look, I don't know what you guys think, but I mean, this final position with pawn g6, h7, I mean, it's just a draw by miracle for black. I mean, I, yeah, yesterday's game was, um, or yesterday at the time yeah. of recording, the round three game where Aliaza was white against Nakamura. Some nice there's, a, there's a lot to say about that game, no? Because I also think it shows Nakamura's weaknesses and strength in the same game. Yeah, beautifully. So Ali Reza plays this what we call semi bluff in a line of the Queen C2 Nimzo, where against Nakamura, you know, you will get that position on the board. No, he always plays that system yeah. with castles a3 takes d5, knight f3, bishop g5, dc4. Like bishop g5, c5 is a good move. Um, but Ali Reza, I think, knew that dc4, b6, h6, queen e7, rook d8 was happened because Nakamura, yeah, does that and he sticks to his guns. Then he's surprised by this try queen c2, which, I don't know, I would guess Peter was also aware of that try. Um, and he has to bail out in a slightly worse endgame, or he decides to bail out into a slightly worse endgame. Was in trouble. But then I was incredibly, yeah. incredibly impressed with Rook f8, and I think he calculated like 15 only moves ahead there to hold a position that still looks lost, and he more or less blitzed them out. So his defensive skills, his calculating ability are just insane. I, like, I, yeah. I don't think I've seen anything like that. I mean, people holding such a position, yes, but how, how he blitzed out all the moves afterwards, just being sure it's a draw when it really looks like it's lost, it's, 
yeah, I was very impressed. With yeah, that again, he's very. I mean, you you have very good point. I mean, like he's incredibly concrete player, and uh, I mean, we 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 would all feel that we are lost and would stop uh, calculate that line. I mean, simply. No, I mean, we would try to calculate it, but we wouldn't manage yeah. like because this position that he got even later after c3, which was move 41. And I would think, okay, he's going to think an hour now and maybe he will find c3 and that it's sort of a miracle fortress. But he played it within two seconds, c3, like just blitzed it out. And it's a very strange fortress because it's very much move by move. And exactly when the king goes to e1, then you have b4 only move making a draw. And if the king goes to, you're just in time to play e5, knight f4. It's, it's very, very concrete and to spot that so quickly. I mean, Ali Reza thought for a long time, maybe he had time to also yeah. make sure what he had in mind was working. But the general idea to go for this, to allow h7, g6 and hold like that. I mean, it's a bad position if Ali Reza doesn't take on f8 but plays rook h1 or rook c1. I think Ali Reza is still a favorite to win, but it was oh. still impressive stuff. So. Yeah. Um, Peter, what did Vesely say about the game of the card? Uh, I think at this point I was traveling, unfortunately. So, I, oh, I, have, okay. I mean, <laughs> no, we sort of parted in, in Charlotte Airport uh, at the Starbucks uh, cafe after he, he bought, <laughs> bought me a drink. So, I think, uh, no, I only have insights from Vesely in the first two rounds. The, the third run oh. will have to be mine. And uh, I generally agree that you see the good and bad sides of Nakamura. From, for Nakamura fans, I would say I'm afraid that his good sides are not enough to, to win the event. But generally, I mean, he has impressed in, in many ways so far. But also he, has, he didn't impress against uh, Karana uh, and such. But of course, I mean, if he starts picking up some more wins, uh, why not in, in a way? I yeah. agree with you that it seemed uh, very, very impressive. Uh, and um, if openings doesn't become a huge factor, of course... Uh, of course, it is a huge factor. Yeah. Like, I mean, <clears throat> even even that line was, as a theory nerd, it was upsetting that uh, this Quincy two semi bluff in a line he always plays gets gets him in trouble. But but maybe he has sort of uh, the, the. I mean, he had black against Karana and Firusha already. Maybe that's where he will be hit the most. Uh, you can argue in this tournament with 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 black. So having sort of skipped these and still being on fifty percent. Maybe actually there is a uh, hope for him to to move forward. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good start. Yeah, he beat yeah he beat, yeah. Yeah. He, he beat uh, in the second round. Lost the first one to Kawana, so fifty percent. Um, that game, that Rajabov game, by the way, also from an opening nerd perspective, I was very surprised that Rajabov, who plays the Berlin every game, yeah. they doesn't blitz out this move d five after queen h five. He doesn't know it and gets into trouble there because it's a line that's been played in the Pomnishi. Aronian B4 and the computers instantly yell D5000. I think Anish, of course, instantly went on record saying since he was six yeah. years old, he's known about this D5 push. Like, I was, yeah, Rajabov. Yeah, but you are giving <laughs> away, you are, you are putting everything on uh, on gay, but uh, you are giving away so much. I can see, I can see Peter. No, Sorry, no, no, I'm okay. sharing some actual chess. Uh, apologies. <laughs> I wanted He's to say that anyone who has an engine when, can switch it on. When artists want to insult someone, he doesn't say he knows it. At some point, he was uh, wanting to diss Magnus's prep, but made by me. He said that, well, this move even his wife knew about. So I think that Anish knows it is nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but anyway, I think overall for Nakamura, yeah, I've been impressed with his level, but preparation, he didn't come with anything new, and it's going to be, be a question if, if it's going to be enough. Will be very interesting to follow. For sure. Yeah, of course. And uh, did um, 
Ah, we didn't talk about Nepo Machine, but Rajabov just gave up already. I mean, like, we never believed in his chances, and uh, it seems that he doesn't as well. I mean, like... Well, you force a draw with White against yeah. Nepo Machine, that's not exactly... When you're what on, do you want to do if you're fighting? Yeah, you're on minus one, placement. so... Uh, well, that would be... He will try to... To do... Uh, as close as possible to 50%, but it seems... Uh, it's uh, his only goal. No, it's a bit what we predicted before. He will yeah. try very hard not to lose every single game, but he's he's not gonna go yeah. for the tournament victory. And so what? And do also, we his black openings are just in trouble. No, like yeah. he he was lost twice in Norway chess out of the opening, and now against Nakamura, he was at least much worse in lines that were pretty well known. So and against yeah, Fioja, actually, he, he acted very very well. Uh, but he was surprised yeah. again in the he opening. He was also ambushed, yeah. He was like but one hour down on the clock. Nicely. Then he played incredibly well. And uh, yeah. even uh, for Aliaza, it was not, not an easy save. Um, but he did it. No, um, no one's questioning he's good at chess, but yeah. he hasn't yet. He has looked a bit out of it. So how about uh, how about Nepo? So Nepo won the first games and a couple of doors. This exciting game against Caruana uh, with... I mean, he got caught in the opening, so I guess a draw as white is okay. It's completely fine because he was he was worse as well. So even I thought he played well there. Like he was worse, but he he kept making tricky decisions reasonably quickly without giving Fabi any any easy spots. And he made a lot of not of non obvious moves like moves like King H two, Queen D one, where the forced lines could have actually gotten him in more trouble. So, although, of course, you don't want to be worse with white, even in the five position, he's worse after rook takes b2. Overall, I thought he played a good game, and he looks in good shape. Yeah. But it's also the usual, the verdict on him, that if things go well, he's an amazing player. But yeah, if the tournament gets longer and he loses the game, then the question will be how he reacts. But so far, he looks excellent. I yeah. thought that the first two games against the, the two rating favorites, uh, or the two top favorites based on us, he played with a lot of confidence, which is impressive, right? I mean, yeah. he was obviously playing for a win in both games. Uh, and um, against Caruana, well, maybe he was caught in the opening. and uh, But he still ensured that they were playing for free results. He tried to put pressure and uh, made it uncomfortable for, for, for Caruana, right? So he strikes me as someone who actually still has a lot of confidence. It's not like he seems sure. overly shaken due to the match. He plays positive chess. And he don't seem to think he's a worse chess player than uh, Caruana and... Um, and ding, and that means he should play with caution or something like that. So while uh, we didn't think highly of his uh, his chances, at least his own evaluation seems to be that he has serious chances, and he seems to to be trying to well, he's playing to win the event most obviously. He's not just trying to make a good result. Yeah, but yeah. first of all, well, I don't think we thought so badly of his chances, but we rated his chances below Fabi Dings and Ali Reza's with Ali Reza more of a question mark. Um. But I do st think the main knock is still that in long tournaments, if he loses a game, his bounce back ability hasn't been so great. And that remains to be seen. Other than that, he looks very, very good. But he looked very, very good in the first six games of the match against Magnus as well. So that's I will say that he got good pairings. That sounds rather insane, based that it's a double round all play all. <laughs> but um, he gets yeah. to play, uh, I mean, Ding and Caruan in the first round. So he will play them in round eight and nine, where he still might not be sort of collapsing in a way, and then he will have the supposedly weaker part of the field uh, for the remaining rounds. It's, uh, I mean... It's good. It could, yeah, I, think good that, I think it's good yeah. for him, no, no doubt about it. It's not like a, yeah. it's a decisive factor, but uh, of course it's, it's helpful, I think. Yeah. So, 
Good point. And um, so the last Who one. Who else is there? Duda. Duda three draws. He looks. He looks fine. Um, neutralized Fabi easily with the black pieces. He'll be upset he didn't yeah. beat yeah. Rapport in that game. But maybe first um, game you don't yeah. expect you don't expect such a present from the opening and uh, he was a bit um, uh, let's say he, he was not uh, um, ambitious enough in the opening. I mean, you just should just crush the guy. Yeah, for for instance, why to change queens? I mean, like no, but even there, if he's thought for a bit, rook takes d one instead of bishop takes d one. Yeah, and white just wins bishop a two, knight b five, and that's not a complicated tactic for him. I think it's a bit of nerves in the first round too, like having such a position. Um, but yeah. yeah, that one he'll be upset about. Other than that, looks like he's he's well prepared. Looks like he's sharp. I liked him playing the Nidorf first of all, because it came as a surprise, and secondly, um. Yeah, because it spices up things a little more than looking at what Fabi has in store against the Petrov or yeah. the Marshal that Fabi probably expected mainly. So I think he's thought about what to do against whom and how to prepare. He looked good. It's unclear if that missing half point or the missing start will hurt him. But so far, I thought he'd played a good tournament. Yeah. Yeah, also, I mean... Well, I think many didn't rate his uh, chances uh, highly. I think I forgot if it was uh, someone who spoke it's about Mag it. Magnus spoke about it publicly, right? But at least Duda himself seems to rate his. I mean, he's playing like someone who wants to figure out uh, if he actually has a chance to win it, right? I mean, he's playing quite positive chances. Yeah. No, it will be. Anyway, um, uh, it will be just uh, fantastic to follow the next uh, the next few days and incredibly exciting. If you understand French, they can even do it on your uh, with your commentary. Yeah, if, uh, if, even if you don't, you can go come and check his errors. You know, like making a lot of errors. But it's better if you speak French at all. Good point. Thank you. So, um, what's any next? other candidates' observations? Peter has been traveling here. He's missed most of it. No, not, playing a, chess. not exactly. So you, you couldn't really follow much. I was sitting in Brussels Airport during the round two yesterday. So, but I, I, I saw one I, of your tweets about the dress code. So yeah, uh, we can speak about the dress code if you want. You, you What's the story it? with the dress code? What do you know exactly what it says in the dress code? Like, I think I've seen seen it somewhere, but I can't quite remember. It's like a unicolor jacket and a unicolor shirt no and probably <laughs> jeans aren't allowed no so it's probably pants um corresponding to it i i don't know if sneakers are allowed i i really want to wear sneakers like i really want to sneakers want sneakers to be allowed in the dress code like i think dress shoes think are so. outdated they're so uncomfortable but i would think those are still part of the deal yeah but what was the controversy? I saw Nakamura tweeted about it, that he had to, yeah, some back and forth, that he got some criticism for violating it. I can't actually remember what he was wearing. Peter, you know all about dress codes. Yeah, of course I know about dress codes, but this one I actually haven't uh, read and such. But in general, well, I think dress code is fine for absolutely top events, but it also has to be within reason and uh, sort of uh, make, make, make sense. Also, for let's say 
Well, for dress code to matter, uh, for instance, I remember I played uh, the European Championship, maybe it was even 15 years ago, and, uh, well, the dress code was no shorts, for instance, which is generally quite reasonable, but the playing hall was absurdly warm, so I think even uh, my, my good uh, body, Emil Sitovsky and me, we were complaining about that. Well, I mean, there has to be an acceptable temperature within the playing hall to enforce some kind of uh, dress code and such, so things have to, to go together. But what I really dislike is also that, I mean, the dress code or the lack of people's appearance will sometimes be used as a sort of pretext to insinuate that, well, how are we going to get sponsors like this? And I don't think it's a problem at all. I think all. Wow, that's a beautiful no, transition to we need to get rid of Russian influence no, from the dress code. You, you got no, there instantly. No, no. But what I'm saying is that I think that they all appear very professionally and such. I mean, when you look at the pictures of Nakamura, why would it bother you that the sliders? And I think that in the... Show I was wearing jeans. Yeah. He was wearing, wearing jeans. I was wearing jeans. Which, I'm okay. No, it's not okay. I'm, I'm fine sorry. With jeans, but I'm not it fine. has to... Yeah. But I think also that in... It has to be. In previous events in the cycle and such, they haven't taken it uh, very carefully, uh, sort of very much to the letter, as long as people are appearing uh, fine, uh, in a way. I mean, to me, it seems... Uh, to so who judges uh, who appears yeah. fine? It will be the appeals committee headed by Laurent Fresinet, who's been partying all night. <laughs> I think it's the feeder supervisor of the event, actually. Who is the feeder supervisor of the event? That I don't know if there's been supervisor. You don't and know. He gets to decide who looks fine ah. and who doesn't. Like, no, you should. I have don't those. know. I think the dress code might be antiquated. I would think it's okay if jeans and especially white sneakers were allowed. But in general, I think it's fine to request some standards from the players and i don't think it's the same in a big open tournament like last time we had this controversy was the european team championship with amateurs and a beach tournament and so on this is the candidate it's eight players fighting for the world championship title we could argue about if it has to be jeans or other pants and sneakers or no sneakers but other than the, that, the, the big controversy was in the world cup right with uh, the the shorts incident uh, and uh, as my fires really i forgot who who was it was it uh I forgot, was it Korobov? Ah, uh, no, 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 not Korobov. No. Kovalyov. Kovalyov, Kovalyov yeah. yeah, and the, the Canadian yeah. Kovalyov. There was yeah. a big, big debate about that. <laughs> and, uh, well, I can understand it, but also I, I think it's a minor problem in a way. I mean, well, for instance, I would like to see someone giving the same attention to just randomly mentioning electoral rules, for instance. Wow, what aboutism? No, not what about. <laughs> Peter Heine Nielsen. No, it's not what about. No, <laughs> not not about the dress code. Who would have thought? No, I'm yeah. I'm trying to point out that it seems very selective when you decide to choose to care about the exact lettering of a rule, and then in other places you don't give a, a damn if if rules are followed. And such. That's the definition of what aboutism. <laughs> no, um, I think there should be general standards then that. Uh, you cannot have someone in power who just says, no, this is actually very... So important. where are the rules not followed by the players and Fede lets it slide? <laughs> yeah, but, well, in general, I think that... I mean, dress code should... I think it was fine before, basically having something more general that, uh, well, you know, you have to appear acceptable and such, and having it written down to some extent is fine. So under your leadership, it would be... You have to be appear acceptable and such, and the Fede supervisor will decide if you look okay. <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. I haven't cared a lot about uh, dress code. Uh, to, but I think uh, I generally think that dress code is not uh, on the top of list of the problems that we, we should solve in FIDE. And the same here. I mean, well, for instance, if they are saying that, 
players don't have to appear at the press conference because we don't want to bother them. I think that's a bigger problem because it would be nice to have comments from the press when they actually, I think, obviously look completely okay. Why bother them? I mean, well, for instance, if Nakamura is actually upset about it and starts replying to it, well, I think it's unnecessary to disturb him like that. It's much more of disturbance than uh, telling him to actually come to a press conference. I think it's just stupid. Yeah, disagree on the dress code part. Like, I think it matters that there is some that some standards course, there. I, think, I don't know the exact uh, I think wording. The same. I mean, but, but <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, like, uh, agree on the so, press so, so they, they cannot wear jeans. So Naka is wearing jeans. Then they tell him something that he cannot wear jeans, and he's complaining that they are telling him. I mean, okay, uh, please. I mean, uh, he should should behave a bit or, or read the contract before he signs it. I mean, that's as simple as that. I mean, yeah. Come on. Um, How can you? I, I don't know the exact uh, details uh, in, in that sense. Um, but uh, well, sure. We we can disagree on that. It's fine enough. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I'd like to keep going on about it. Laurent, you you are a man who appreciates proper clothing. You like to wear a nice suit. Um, how do you feel about dress codes? No, I feel that it's important. I mean, like, I mean, you should. I mean, I prefer when I'm watching some show. I prefer if the guy is well dressed and in a short or t-shirt. Or I mean, like, it feels. I mean, not crucial. I agree with Peter. I mean, it's not. I understand. Is is. Is a candidate uh, to become uh, a deputy president? Of course, it's not on the top of the list of the problems uh, we have, but I think it's uh, it's normal. You have some some minimum standard, and I don't see anything wrong. And complaining about it afterwards, I mean, it's a bit just just weird. Yeah, I guess yeah. his argument would be that uh, they haven't complained about it earlier in the same cycle, and, <laughs> such, and that they start doing it uh, now is. Uh, because candidates is bigger than company. It's the biggest stage, and yeah, that's yeah. that's a strange argument. No, that you were it was okay earlier, even though yeah, it, it was not supposed to be like that. I think we need a Salomonic solution. We change the dress code slightly. Jeans are acceptable. White sneakers are acceptable. Then wear a jacket and a shirt. Of course, you can take off the jacket during the game, and everybody's happy. Yeah. I will decide which sneakers are acceptable. I'm the sneakers sneakers correspondent, um, I think that's important. You can't wear any sneakers, but in general nowadays we need white sneakers. That's so, very important to so me. You, so if uh, Peter wins uh, FIDE election, you will be in the sneaker commission. I will be the the sneakers sneakers appeals committee. Sorry, uh, we are <laughs> not going to make any deals about this, but uh, we are promising <laughs> that everybody will get the chance to sort of apply. So I mean, you will be able to present your. I have a huge sneakers collection. Exactly. I have books on the topic. Um, but you should take. So in general, just to wrap it up. Excellent. Uh, just to wrap it up, Peter, you think that clothing should be transparent. Okay. No, no way you're going to get me on record to say that. I think, well, I mainly think that... That was just a dumb joke. Yeah, that we don't have a problem. And uh, I mean, we have so many other problems. I mean, the players are representing the game very well, in my opinion. They are... Nicely dressed. I, I don't see any problem. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, Moving I'm I'm uh, I'm already applying for uh, the next uh, appeal committee of uh, FIDE candidates, <laughs> 2024. <laughs> okay. I don't remember Peter. you have any kind of juridical 
sort of <laughs> skills, nor it's, it's have okay, even yeah, taken yeah. an ar- arbiter course, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Come on. Now you're going to make us do arbiter courses because we don't know enough about the rules of chess? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> like, uh, how, much, how much are you making on these arbiter courses that you make us take? <laughs> that is, Transparency. That is the current administration. I mean, actually, I think they take sort of, if, in my opinion, some fees that are quite higher than the actual cost and such. And this is, I've been wow. complaining about even before the previous uh, thing that... Uh, Who in the business world or in anywhere in the world takes a fee that's higher than the actual cost? Are they trying to make a profit, not a loss? No, but FIDE should not be run as a business with uh, its members being uh, seen as the customers. That's my point. They should, uh, we should try and attract uh, outside sponsorship. But of course, that's very difficult when... Uh, The leadership is connected to the Kremlin, but that's going to be different. I served you that. Different. Yeah, that was that was going to be different. That was way too easy for me. Milton. That, <laughs> that was a nice smash. Hammer, Hammer has COVID. Poor Hammer. He was on site in Madrid as part of a commentary team. And what's happening now? He's quarantining in a hotel room. Is he? Did he go back home? What do you do when you get COVID in a foreign country? Like, you, you isolate there until you test negative, right? Yeah. That's what Nakamura did, yeah? I think so. I'm not sure. I think the rules are have eased up by now, probably. Or at least I didn't have to show any COVID test during my recent air travels. Um, or well, I'm not sure. I, but I, I had to. And if I, for, you, for the US, you still have to COVID test. And I went for a walk with Hammer and then was tested the next day. So maybe I got lucky. I don't know. But he didn't manage to infect me. Maybe outside it's yeah, safer yeah. to... He didn't manage to infect me. <laughs> yeah. So. Do you think... What are the rules there? Are they testing the players? What happens if a player tests positive? Or are they... They no longer have to test them and they just hope it goes well. Yeah, I thought they wrote somewhere that they have tested people and everybody was negative. But uh, I forgot that I might uh, refer to a, a random tweet. Yeah, but it's it's very tricky. I, we had the case in French League, someone was coughing uh, heavily. And, uh, well, uh, you don't have to wear the mask. I mean, it's a very tricky situation. So some guy just tilted and started to <laughs> to shout in the playing hall, like, okay, I asked, like, uh, 30 minutes ago, uh, to he asked to the referee 30 minutes ago, and the referee was just uh, contemplating the situation. Uh, well, when someone is coughing, I mean, you cannot force... Um, people to wear the mask. I mean, it's just very, mm, very strange situation actually. I mean, you you have to trust uh, people' uh, uh, responsibility. I mean, sense of responsibility and uh, isolate themselves. That's, that's, that's But if you're a player and you start coughing during the candidates tournament, do you yeah. say, no. okay, let me get a COVID test. I want to get out of here. I mean, usually if you're not forced to, you try to continue the tournament. No, it's a very, yeah. very tricky spot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would guess that's that's what most people would think. Not sure actually. It's just a strange situation with people on site testing positive. Let's hope. Yeah, I would assume. I would assume there is rules about it. It would be strange if there was not rules about it based on the previous candidates' turn. Yeah, <laughs> that's tough. Yeah, but it's a different situ- situation. No, the regulations inside the European Union at least have eased up a lot regarding yeah. COVID since. So not sure. So. Let's move on to, to Prague. I didn't follow too much. so Hare I Krishna. didn't follow it all either. I just see in our notes here, because yeah. we have notes, that Hare Krishna won the Masters and Vincent Keimer, the talented young German player who will be playing in the Olympiad for Germany, where I will be the head coach. I'm wondering what I can pluck here. Um, nothing, unfortunately. 
But yeah, he won the Challengers group, won some rating, which is nice. Yeah, and uh, but there is a much more important news, uh, the next line. So maybe we should move on to... No, I just want to, to say the... about Prague yeah. that uh, l last uh, week, last week's podcast, uh, I was basically bluffing because I wasn't really following Prague. So I assured it had uh, finished and uh, wasn't really sure who had won. But I was apparently because the event was not finished. Uh, it gives away that I have really not been following Prague. So I mean, congratulations to 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 Harry and and Kamer. I will I will st study their their wins when I when I get a chance. It's it's we'll it's quiz you about their games on yeah. the next podcast. <laughs> it's like actually, I mean, the funny part is that the challenger was uh, had a much more interesting field than the the masters actually. I mean, to my to my taste, a lot of young players: Niman, uh, uh, Abdusatov, Kamer. I mean, it was. Mixed field and uh, it's Kaima. Kaima, sorry, Kaima, Kaima, Vincent. <laughs> sorry, I just do this because Laurent loves to correct my French whenever That's I say one word or one yeah. name. So, so, so I saw that on Twitter, uh, Anish Gil uh, lost to a talented Danish superstar. <laughs> 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 18, <laughs> 2000. It was rapid. It was rapid. Ah, fuck. I sorry. honestly have. I mean. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I don't get notification. Well, I don't uh, I don't don't think I follow Anish, so, so I only see him. Some Hang on, that sounds shady. You don't <laughs> think you follow Anish? You don't know about if you follow Anish on Twitter? Yeah, I think at some point I thought it was easier not not to. Uh, so I I don't know, and I was, I don't know which Danish superstar you were talking about. So so t no, I mean it was a joke, I think. Um, so no, he did lose a game to. Uh, a 2083 so kid in some rapid tournament which of course his many haters jumped on immediately ah, come on. not mentioning that he also beat superstar luke van veli in the same tournament Oof. transparency peter so did you block anish on twitter or you just no i didn't him? block him but uh, I, I have unfollowed him i think also i have reported him to twitter yes. okay that's very transparent mm -hmm. Mm. Thank you. Stand by both. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, it's time for the the main dish of our podcast. Finally. <laughs> oh, Finally. Which which one? Sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, campaigning. How is what it? is wrong with Peter this week, Peter? Or did we rename it ever since Peter <laughs> <Yeah>. is now <laughs> a candidate? What are you going to fix in FIDE this week, Peter? Tell us, tell us what's happening. Well, I mean, there is not that much new that I want to fix since last week. It's more or less the, the, the same uh, themes, right? About um... We are recovered that the dress code is way too strict. No, uh, I think it's just uh, the attention is going there too much in a way. I think there is uh, so many other things that uh, should be fixed first. I mean, well, it becomes like we start to debate something that's just not a problem, in, in, in my opinion, and uh, put a lot of focus to that, and it sort of overshadows uh, the real issues, I would say. What are the real issues? Well, I mean, we mentioned uh, campaign funding uh, and, and such the last time, and this is maybe still a, a problem that I think... Um, I mean, well, if you look at uh, uh, Team Dvorkovic, it's clear that... Uh, those who is actually on the election ballot is basically not campaigning, while those who are employed by FIDE is doing a lot of campaigning as being visible. And that, of course, is, is not how it's supposed to be based on, on the rules, that uh, 
those who take, get paid by fleet it has to stay neutral and uh, if uh, well the other people on, on his ticket wants to campaign they, they are very welcome to do it but uh, as far as I can see they, they don't um, well that's one thing but of course um, what provokes me to a bigger extent I mean is perhaps uh, that uh, Dvorkovich is uh, appearing with the peace message and such and the Olympic uh, flame uh, and things like that and sort of connecting himself to and talking about that uh, the Olympic uh, flame symbolizes um, uh, peace while I mean he was actually in the Russian government at the time when they used uh, the Winter Olympics in 2014 as the sort of run up to and attacked Ukraine shortly afterwards. Um, that I think is for me is, is too much, uh, no doubt about that. And uh, even in 2022 also you saw the Winter Olympics that basically was said directly that well they were basically awaiting that to finish before the, the full-scale invasion came of uh, Ukraine. So um, I mean for me it's um, well I don't connect Dvorkovich with peace. On the contrary, I connect him with the, the, the Russian regime, who is responsible for war. Jan, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> nothing to say. I agree, actually. Um, I agree. Yeah, I got nothing. No. Go ahead, Laura. No, no, I mean, so what are you doing? I think people are just um, curious to know how, how you are running a campaign. I mean, like... Uh, you told us people want a more positive campaign. Yeah, we understand <laughs> less Russian influence, Russian ties to Kremlin. So wh when yeah. when are you coming with your proposals? We definitely are, but uh, I will state to it that it's important to understand who it is and what it is we are actually supporting and their history and where they're coming from. But we can talk about more positive uh, things if you want. That is uh, that is fair enough. Um, but I think that. Before Chesswold makes this uh, decision, it's reasonable that uh, people don't sort of, well, people are informed. Um, for sure, we are working on uh, proposals and uh, a website and, uh, and such, there's, there's no doubt. And uh, I know that uh, uh, Andre is in, in touch with, uh, I mean, people that, in, in my opinion, will bring uh, a lot of value uh, to the chess world and is coming from outside the chess world and such. So this is uh, definitely work in progress but obviously we d we are limited to to resources and also have our own sort of uh, non campaign things to to handle I cannot do that full time so uh, yeah of course and uh, how how many people are on the full ticket well the full ticket by the route is two so this is already clear ah. i mean if anything there was this uh, i mean you saw that uh, fumei was complaining that dvorkovich was announcing five ticket five pe people on his team he five people yeah he said that was illegal. I'm not sure that it's illegal to announce uh, any sort of more than two, but two, you have to announce two tickets. I mean, the and legal requirements is that you renounce uh, a president and a deputy, and that's, that's it. Then the winner of the elections has the right to uh, award three extra uh, vice presidents. Uh, but um, I mean, these doesn't necessarily have to be uh, nominated in advance, but I mean, well, the I think there is 10, 10 uh, Yeah, but more of them has to be elected by a direct vote now. Sort of, I mean, well, I don't know how much you know about the governing structure of, of FIDE, but there is this, uh, I think it's called the council, where, well, the, the actual power is to some extent, where some of, most of them are directly elected, but the president can announce, uh, can announce three of them. 
uh, okay. directives. But um, no, we are not sort of having uh, names there yet. But uh, well, I think neither has uh, the other teams. If anything, I would say the the strange thing with this campaign is the absolute silence. I mean, for instance, uh, you're asking what is our policies and such. I think we are the ones who have put most forward policies. Um, I think others are completely silent uh, on, on the matter. I mean, you cannot find, well, I think uh, no, no, none of the four teams has uh, web pages or any, anything like that. Um, I think uh, Sheripov and Koyakli has uh, barely yeah, made any course. kind of public, but public it, statement. But it's clear uh, that Vokovic will campaign on what he did uh, the last few years. That's it. But Peter, in order to win, if you want to win, you need a message. It can't just be that. And I'm not sure what you put forward on policies. For to me, it always sounds like, yeah, <coughs> we have to get rid of the Russian influence and we want more transparency. Other than that, I'm no, not aware of the policy. I mean, the, the message is that we think that um, when the chess is free from, let's say, Russian interest, it opens up a tremendous... Please, every time I bring this up, no, no, the no, answer is no. instantly Russian interest yes, and transparency. Yes, but you are, I mean, you are not willing to look at what actually happens when this, this happens. I mean... For instance, it's possible to get uh, many more sponsors uh, and such. I mean, look at the current uh, feeder candidates. There is no one. <laughs> it's there. always the two, two same sentences. No, it's they, always no, get rid of Russian that, interests, that, then we'll have more sponsors well, exactly, and transparency. Exactly. No, you're mentioning transparency. <laughs> I haven't mentioned it today. Okay. okay. I mean, <laughs> no. Look Just get rid of Russian interests, and we'll have more sponsors. Look at the current candidates. There's not that many advertising a product, right? We think that it's. More I give up. I've actually been trying to help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you are welcome to, to do that. Uh, I mean. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, we think it's possible to find uh, much more commercial sponsorship than uh, it is now. Well, why not? Why isn't Chess a, a great product? I, I don't get it. Look at, uh, well, you mentioned Nakamura. Maybe he wears jeans, but he has uh, more than a million followers and such, right? Um, and uh, the Queen's Gambit boom I can mention as well. I think there is a lot of potential there, and uh, we are trying to find uh, people who, who we think can give credibility to the idea of commercial uh, sponsorships. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, so, so, well, so we you can so also talk about, um, for instance, uh, the geographical placement of, of tournaments and such. I think that uh, the focus has been heavily European, and um, now since, um, um, well, uh, since it couldn't be Moscow, the Olympiad, uh, India and such, I think it should be more global, no doubt. We, we, will you announce some names uh, of companies who are willing to support uh, FIDE if you are elected? Or? I think we are working on having uh, sort of uh, reputable people uh, sort of being part of, uh, I mean, in a more advisory role and something like that. So we're not going to come with uh, ready-made uh, contracts in advance. I think no one has done that historically and such. No. But of course, uh, well, we are trying to find people who can uh, sort of make it look realistic. There's no doubt about that. Okay. Good, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so well, we are, we are working on it. But again, well, you are asking a, a lot for us compared to what others are doing, is my impression. No, I think in order to have a realistic chance to win the message, yeah, we need to get rid of Russian influence. That will get you a certain number, um, especially in Western Europe. But if you don't have other other more positive messages i don't think you have a chance which uh, maybe it's fine and it was still a worthy cause okay. but yeah i don't think that we, <laughs> we are not having, not having uh, we think that uh, i mean rearranging the chess world in a way so that they can actually attract commercial sponsorship is a very positive message i think that it's very positive that uh, we should not just i mean well you are saying let's judge the current administration on uh, sort of this reign well i can say that during this reign it has been 11 out of 20 tournaments in Russia. Of course, it should be more global than that. 
by far the biggest amount of sponsorship, I think, uh, or donations. I think Vorkovic mentioned 80% at some point has come from there. I mean, well, this has to change, and this opens a lot of possibilities. Uh, that's how I see it. So, in general, you wouldn't want um, the big tournaments like in major European cities, but more spread out well, I think over the it's, world? Well, it's not mm -hmm. like it shouldn't be only Europe, but, uh, I mean, well, the most obvious example is... Uh, Africa, for instance, or, uh, well, I mean, South America, but it's not a very global sport in that sense. And of course, for instance, if you speak with uh, African uh, delegates and such, uh, one gets the impression of completely different needs than what uh, we are thinking of, uh, let's say, in Europe, for instance. I mean, well, the, the chess world is large, and it's important to understand these things. And of course, for people like us, who has a very, let's say, European attitude towards, and therefore we see things, we see it in a certain way, and I have cared a lot about elite things. While if you look, for instance, uh, at Africa, of course, they have a completely different uh, problems and attitude and such. And that uh, we will have to try and understand and try and uh, help, no doubt. All right. Gate? Do we have anything else? No. Are, we, are we in the mood to get into body shaming? <laughs> Why not? Indeed, yeah. <laughs> we'll start with mine, so or we go for fresh, or how do we do it? Uh, Ugh, I'm I was white shaming Jan. Noah has been white shaming me yeah, relentlessly yeah, in yeah, Thailand, yeah. which was very yeah. hurtful, very hurtful. Anytime <laughs> I was not the only one, actually. <laughs> you were clearly the, the instigator. Anytime I would wear shorts, he would make fun of my very white legs just because <laughs> I lead a tough life sitting in my basement in northern Germany. Never seeing the sun. It was very hurtful. Some, Hurt lo some local greatly. people, you remember? Thought it was incredibly funny. Your, your legs. I do not recall that. <laughs> I, recall. I, I have gotten a lot of sun recently due to being in Charlotte uh, with the fantastic weather. But uh, two weeks of Stavanger and one of, of Charlotte with sort of uh, common dinners every night and then, them being very generous hosts has probably put on a, a kilo or two, I would argue, or say that. So, I mean, if we go in that direction. <coughs> But I think the serious topic about uh, body shaming is that, well, people started making uh, comments about uh, Nepomniachtchi's weight uh, at, at the candidates, right? And uh, there is some kind of controversy if it's a reasonable thing to discuss. Um, and um, yeah, I can see as no one wants to, to take the word, we're just both looking. No, I'm, I'm happy to, to weigh in, pun intended. No. Um, None taken. But <laughs> no, I think in general, the thing is, it's okay to point out if someone lost weight, it's not okay to point out if someone gained weight, which we could argue if that's not being discriminatory um, to begin with. But of course, it's wrong to comment on other people's physical appearances in public, especially in a way that implies it's negative. What I don't think is wrong is to talk about what's the best shape also individually that you could be in for the candidates and there of course we judge on appearances like if people people look skinny or heavier it's a serious question which i'm not sure if for example magnus i would guess gives it a lot of thought before world championship match what is the best shape like because usually people say okay you gotta work out you gotta prepare physically which i guess is true but peter you're into research and that kind of stuff do we have evidence that people do better on a certain weight in a certain fitness level than otherwise? I don't know if there is uh, sort of serious studies doing that with chess. Uh, I remember a quote by Yusupov who was saying that 
well, for very long tournaments, you need some kind of uh, thing to sort of, uh, well, you're, well, you need to be able to manage the six-hour games. Your body has to be strong enough for that, which probably meant it needs to have some kind of energy stored, uh, I think being the point. While I th yeah. Why I think it's reasonable is that up to the World Championship match, which is only half a year ago, it was noticeable that uh, Nepom Yashi chose to, well, lose a considerable amount of weight. And now he might have gained it again, and it didn't seem to work out that well for him. Well, it could be a lot. There could be a lot of reasons to looking for uh, sort of losing to Magnus, but as we see that he is well prepared and very motivated here, it could look like a conscious choice, maybe that uh, that he's trying to find what works for him. I think it's re re realistic to uh, sort of it's reasonable to discuss these things from an athlete point of view. I think also at some point James Harden in basketball, they were noticing that he's gained some weight, and uh, he seemed to be fine with it and such. I mean, I think we are discussing it in order to see its relevance towards sports performance. It's not just a general thing we're doing to, to, to talk. So mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, I can understand why people talk about it, uh, I would say, and I don't think it's uh, crossing any particular line. Yeah, my question was more in a general state, because I've never seen any research, because there is this argument, which might be nonsense, if anybody knows about this, by all means, weigh in that you need um, some certain energy reserves to make it through a long chess tournament, which would, I guess, indicate that you want to have a slightly heavier playing weight. And chess, we see a lot of players that are very, very skinny. And I wonder if that's the best shape, like a marathon runner, or if it hurt their chances as well. I'm genuinely curious. Maybe it's also just for the individual, or if you're young, it doesn't matter as much as other stuff. But I don't see it debated much. Even stuff like... The evening before, do you eat a lot of carbs so that you have energy stored for the next day? Or what should your ideal diet look like? I'm sure like guys like probably Magnus and Fabi look into these things before World Championship matches. But in general, it's not a big topic in chess and maybe it should be. Yeah. No, I think it, it matters and it, it should be. But the point is that, well, it's still kind of minor, right? I mean, it doesn't. if you are... Not uh, like two eight player player level like they are. You cannot just compensate that for eating he healthy or something like that. I think it. I, I don't know. I, Maybe you can still be thirty points high rated. Yeah, though, exactly. Like, but that's what I mean, it might I mean, it might decide some points, and I think it should definitely be taken seriously and such. But I think it makes sense to be in in decent shape, but not necessarily to be in excellent shape. If sort of the change from decent to excellent shape takes an tremendous amount of work, then probably it's better to spend that amount of work on chess, right? But uh, I think that uh, even generally, but also in modern times, uh, th those playing for World Championship matches or at top level has been in quite good shape uh, and such. I remember when, before Vichy won the World Championship in 2007, we were training quite hard physically. We were even sort of uh, running up and down of, of stairs, which might sound unbelievable to you, but that's actually what we were doing to, to sort of build our physique. Is, the, is there a video on it? Like No, there is not. And, uh, okay, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think just to create the image in your mind, that's probably better than how it looked in reality. I have a, I have actually a video of you doing sports. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Now, that video I, I've had for years, but being, being nice to Peter as I am, it's not been leaked yet. If you have a choice, <laughs> then rather leak some old things, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Coming from me, that's something. But... Uh, no, I, I genuinely think that it will be interesting to do some research with this and such. Yeah. But I think I players agree. mainly try to have their own experiences and, and such, uh, no doubt. Uh, no, I think it's easy. I mean, for me, it's clear that it's okay to talk about it. 
um, if you, I mean, before the match, it was quite a big topic that he lost some weight and so on. So, I mean, like, why not to, <laughs> to talk about if he, if he gets No, but I think also opponents pay attention to it. I remember in yeah, 2008, 2008, I came to met the, the team and I said that, uh, well, no, you know, some, some news I have uh, at the train station. I met Kramnik uh, and he looked actually in great shape. But then I said, well, he was yeah. also there with Laurent at his second. So they got sort of all the, <laughs> the, 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 the news. Yeah so, um, yeah. yeah. so, no, I mean, well, I think... Well, I think Kramnik was even being in good shape to some extent to intimidate Vichy. I mean, Vichy was also saying that he tried to look. No, but he was. He was. I can. Press conference and such, right? I can guarantee that he was swimming at least yeah, one yeah. hour per day, every day. Well, exactly. Kramnik was probably in. No, he was training. Really good, good physical shape. It didn't do him much good. It turned. And out. even in uh, in Paris before the match, I mean, we were meeting, and he was like kind of coming back mm -hmm. from the swimming pool. Also, I mean, like he was really daily. Daily is it swimming. also true that not to waste time when he went swimming he had sort of uh, prepared four kind of difficult studies he was solving his head while swimming or is that just a legend that i don't know but probably yeah, I read that too. probably his, his <laughs> computer was running that's no i mean few computers were running let's let's face it it was not only one <laughs> on some positions no but the problem is it's such small sample size and it's also more or less anecdotal evidence who prepared what and at what weight they were playing and so on that I guess we don't know, but I'm genuinely curious about mm -hmm. it. Well, I um, think also eating in a certain way before the game might optimize your chances and such. I just don't know which, what is correct and such. You could ask Hen you Henrik. You have a croissant and pain chocolat and a coffee for breakfast and then nothing till after the game. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Questions. What do we have questions? Yeah. How do you prepare for a tournament like the candidates is a question by new chess five. Do you target some particular players or go all in? How should your opening repertoire while playing such, how should be your opening repertoire while playing such a strong event? It's a very general question. I think it's a bit of both. No, you exactly. try to have a tight or a black repertoire that can hold up against anything that's not prepared for specific players. You make some choices. I play these openings. And then with white, where it's not realistic to just play these lines. You can't say, I'll always play this line of the Italian and get an advantage. There you try to target people if you feel there are weaknesses in their black repertoire, like Ali Reza did against um, Hikaru, for example. And Fabi takes it a step further. He also tries with black to target people and have some very nasty surprises there. But he's... Yeah, he's, as we mentioned, I think, in the previous episode also, the best in the world, or the best in the tournament, at least, at opening prep. Peter, you're you're the expert. Yeah, I don't have that much. Like, I mean, I was trying to think back to the candidates. I have probably worked for Magnus in 2013, how we did it, but I think we prepared various openings, various ideas to have some kind of, uh, uh, let's say, ammunition generally. But of course, well, you do care about, well, it's only like 14 different games. It's possible to prepare in advance. Uh, one thing that sort of stuck uh, to me was, was Vichy in 2007, uh, before the well, it was World Championship, but it was an eight-player tournament, so basically the same, right? That at that point we had no idea what to do with White against the Petrov, and I think at some point he just said, "Okay, it's just going to be one-two players who will play the Petrov. Um, maybe don't waste all our energy being depressed uh, against that." And then we found some good ideas in the Marshall instead, which which helped us and such. So, candidates tournaments are kind of different in the way that. If you spend all the energy in sort of breaking down 
let's say, some of Black's negative strides. Um, well, that's necessary in World Championship matches because you play the same opponent who, who might repeat the same strategy over and over again. But for tournaments, you probably should have a much more positive outlook, I would say, and then just um, well live with the bad times. They're not going to happen so often, and then try to you know, sneak in some, some good tricks here and there. Yeah, you need, you need, of course, um, a general repertoire because you expect to be surprised, actually, because you are going to surprise people, but you are most likely uh, uh, going to be, to be surprised as well. So you, you, need, you need a general artist as black and well, as white as well. I mean, like, you cannot go against... Uh, okay, it's quite Fabi did, actually. He didn't know what to do against... If Duda plays a night off, which was not likely, but you, you, can, you may expect um, a completely different opening from... Uh, from people. Yeah, and I think also you have to expect that your opponents are going to be incredibly well prepared. I mean, in the tournament, they might stick to what they usually do. For the candidates, everybody's going to show up uh, having put in a, a serious amount of work and might have uh, new, well, either new ideas in old system or just simply have new new systems they haven't really played much before and such. So, uh, well, I think generally you just have to expect that this is going to be on a, on a much higher level than usual. Yeah, also everybody's different, like certain people are opening nerds and they have all the basics built, others, yeah, um, haven't focused on that so much, so I don't think there's one individual answer, like the preparation will look very different case by case, but it's definitely the tournament after the World Championship match, which ta people take most seriously when it comes to prep. Yeah, so second question. What are the other questions? Ask Laurent, should I read this out? What were the politics of him? No, no the, poli the policies? The policies. The policies? Yeah. Policies is probably meant. Of him and his team when they ran against Kuatli. Quality. Greater access to more salami, wine, and duck for all French players? Question mark. Lunch and dinners to be extended to minimum three and five hours, respectively. Possible campaign slogan. Finer wine and even finer dining, maybe? Is it might be tongue-in-cheek. I'm not I sure where so. this is coming from. I would still say that it's true. Laurent has actually been part of a very successful uh, chess political campaign. So maybe <laughs> I should just shut up and uh, listen to the advice coming now. Um, do you think it's funny? Do you think the question is funny or not? I think Jan, Jan I, can see, <laughs> I can see that Jan thinks it's incredibly funny, like the best joke of No, I don't think the day. question is funny, but I, I obviously know your reaction. So it will be funny. So no, I, I don't approve of the question, but I'm, no, I'm very not going, curious. I'm, I'm not going to answer. Uh, you're not going to do it no, yet, because no. like, I, I know this is the one spot where Laurent <laughs> feels very, very offended. I, I think at some point. Okay, now it's going to be a tale, <laughs> a, a, a bit early tale from a training camp. But I think at some point, well, Laurent was mentioning. Okay, maybe this kind of French joke is a bit played and sort of. I think everybody looked at each other and then they said, "No, it's not." And then that was basically it. So, I mean, we like making fun of Kulo. I agree that, uh, well, this one, I, I don't know. It's uh, maybe taking a bit too far. But uh, No, I'm actually very curious. Can you tell us? How did you run a successful chess political campaign? I mean, I was, I was a very small part of the, of the campaign. I mean, I was doing the, the negative stuff <laughs> online. I was tweeting. I mean, it reminds me, it reminds maybe of... Uh, uh, of someone, someone else. <laughs> no, no, but it was actually it was um, it was weird because it was very long uh, because of the COVID. So the um, uh, quietly kept on uh, postponing the election 
just to, to stay president a bit longer. Um, yeah, but we, we had a lot of proposal. I mean, like uh, a nice website with uh, many, many uh, uh, proposals. But of course, you have to you also have to say what um, people got during the past uh, term. And uh, yeah, you have to make a, a mix of both. And uh, Basha ended up on 36%. So that was not, <laughs> that was not very great. I, I, I will say, I, I will tell it every time. So Quatli was now candidate for, to become a FIDE president, lost the local election in France in 2021. So that was last year, actually. Um, so that was not uh, very impressive, but let's mm -hmm. see. Okay, I don't think anyone answered the actual question, but no, uh, no. So the next one, I'd be interested in what teams the candidates have, what approaches, etc. I think he's talking about the candidates for the chess tournament, not the FIDE elections. Yeah. Also, I'd <laughs> like to nominate Jan for Chicken of the Week, okay, for the looks Fair on enough. his face when he's analyzing the Judith and she starts to attack. We can we can believe it. We buy it. No, I'm very offended because the one thing I take pride in is that my facial expression is always the same, slightly indifferent, slightly depressed look. So that would be great progress if there was actual human emotion on it. But I don't think I'm there yet. I will compliment you. Either you are doing it perfectly or the camera has been frozen for the last three minutes because you haven't moved it's, one bit. It's frozen. No, this, this is me. It's not frozen. Um, as for the teams... I don't think we, we know that much. We can speculate, of course, we saw Rapport arrive with Luboyevich. Laurent has a lot of inside information on Team Ali Reza. He's not sharing with us. <laughs> we um, saw Fabi with Chuchilov. Fabi with Chuchilov, yeah. And I'm assuming yeah. that he still has his usual people in the States helping him remotely. Like, I would guess Ramirez is probably involved i'm not sure if dominguez dominguez also used to work with rajabov at some point i'm not sure which team he's on currently but yeah we don't know people don't idea. make it very public of course yeah. you have some ideas and here's some rumors i think gayevsky is with duda for example for full transparency but we don't know that much dominguez also worked with magnus for the 2013 uh, candidates yeah that's very very helpful thanks peter it's great you're transparent about things. How many Nine people? Ago, I, I, I was not no working. I was not working in uh, candidates 2013. I started later, but only uh, three people yeah, were helping Magnus during the candidates 2013. I, huh? I think, well, depends on you count me as help, but I think it was uh, Almasi, uh, Ponomaryov, and Dominguez, yes. Ah, okay. I, I forgot. Yeah, Almasi, yeah, that's true. Okay. So it was already a team of four people, yeah, for candidate yeah, tournaments. Yeah. Right. So this was. Uh, well, the usual setup with me being on location and they were helping online. We had a training camp. So he, he won. He, he won the candidates, and they all got fired. Uh, I am not into to, to details, as I have said. I, I was I was skipping that match and ma made a list of several names, including yours. That was possible to work. Wow, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but no, it's a good point that there's not that many names floating around, which is a bit surprising in a way. Maybe they're helping remotely more these days, and like that, yeah. they can stay hidden. Um, so you mean, makes sense. Well, no, for instance, well, Nakamura or Nepomniachtchi. Do we know anything about who helps them? Well, we can of course guess. Well, Nepomniachtchi, we know his structure. No, I would assuming Potkin is in the picture. I saw Hayrulin on some picture and Vitukov. Yeah, Hayrulin 
Yeah. So, uh, Raihulin and Vitikov are there. Neko, we don't know, but I could, I would guess he's also still involved, at least he's been. And Nakamura is this uh, guy who is better than Kasparov. So, faster. I mean, same conclusion, but faster. Chris, uh, what's his name again? Chris Littlejohn. Littlejohn, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, we don't know. It's very secret, yeah, overall. But uh, probably team of t two people at the very least for the the main contenders. Ding, do, do we have, I mean, like, um, he used to have Wei Yi. I think Wei Yi uh, went with him in 2018. But now I'm not sure at all. Yeah, also it seems very tricky still with the traveling from yeah. China, so I would guess it's also remote, but I have no no inside information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or outside information. So do you have a tale from the tank camp? Or we already did that? I have I have no tale for today wow. because yeah we still can't speak about the one we don't speak about. We're also at one twenty, so let's just quickly do chickens. Yeah. Um, also, Peter, I think left the call like uh, two minutes ago. Yeah. And yeah, some, uh, wrap it up. Laurent, who's, who's your chicken of the week? My chicken of the week is a listener, uh, a listener Marcus Hager, Austrian uh, grandmaster, who impressed. Oh, greetings. He, he he impressed me uh, his way. We told him uh, if you make a draw as white, we are playing this team with uh, three Indian guys and the French guys were, were considered considerably weaker. So we decided to keep it safe on the first board. And he, I mean, he made a draw with Sarin as white in such a professional way. He was banging out all these moves, some random line. He's still new. And then he offered a draw, three moves before uh, his uh, prep ends. I mean, that was just uh, fantastic, fantastic uh, prep to make a draw. Uh, really amazing. I mean, um, so he's really my, my, chicken, uh, my chicken of the week. How about you? Big fan. I accept the nomination from Paul Cooksey. It's a big honor. Um, let's see. Peter, uh, Peter, I think he's frozen. He's frozen. He doesn't have any And he has something to say, but uh, no, 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 no. Nah, we, he's said enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. This was this week's episode of the Chicken Chess Club podcast. If you have any question, particularly if they involve humorous puns on Laurent's French nationality, <laughs> then by all means, submit them for next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.